0: Um So, I was getting ready to launch into this story about as has nothing to do with the lesson yet but but in graduate school, uh, if you were if you missed a student body meeting, you could get voted in without being there to a position so the The running joke was if someone didn't show up because we were a small student body, uh, if someone didn't show up, then you, you know the joke would be to to um, Vote for them for the job that was the most detailed or the most involved, you know. And so you could miss a meeting and then come back to school the next day. And, oh, by the way, you were voted in as student activities officer. <laughs> so that's why you don't want to miss a meeting. But uh, the the kissing the pig thing, uh, uh, Brother Gene, he, he mentioned last Sunday that he missed the meeting on that. So, yeah, don't, you know, when you miss the meeting, you get voted into things, I guess, A student activities officer, that's not something, I mean, it was fun, but, uh, well, anyway, I'm not going to continue, but I was voted in as student activities officer, amen. Well, we're going to get started here today. Uh, We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11, that's going to be our scripture focus today. I'm going to read that very quickly here. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them, I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And so this scripture portion here is calling us to consider uh, moderation today. Moderation. Moderation. And that's what we're going to be uh, speaking about. This is lesson 1.2, if I'm on the correct lesson today. And it's uh, part of the series, Unplugged. And in that, we're going to discuss moderation. If you could just um, close your eyes with me today and say a word of prayer, pray however you, you feel like you want to. We're going to ask the Lord to bless us today. Lord, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Jesus Lord, that it is not in this life that we're meant to find our complete fulfillment, but Lord, it's walking with you that we're able to find what it means to be full. I pray today as we journey through your word that you will call us to a moderation, Lord, where there is fulfillment, where there is blessing, where you are Lord of all. And we ask you, Jesus, to let your will be done in us, transform us today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Long he sat staring at the parchment pen in hand he was agitated he felt stirred to write for so long he had felt numb his inner world drab and dreary he had quit trying to shake his depression long ago why even try when the absurdity of his own life was ever before him he just felt bored painfully bored with life and so the Stirring to write was a welcome relief from the monotonous boredom of having everything in life except satisfaction. How should he begin, he thought. He thought about his own life for a long time and suddenly one sentence burst into his mind and put into thought what he had felt for so long. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That was it. King Solomon's entire life struck him as utterly meaningless. Those on the outside looking at his life would never have been able to conceive of him, of all people, coming to that conclusion. He had everything. He always had from his younger years growing up in King David's palace until he himself ruled as king. He always had. And now, sitting at the table to write, He took inventory of all he had accumulated, fine houses, vineyards, gardens, orchards, pools, slaves, great herds and flocks, silver, gold, other treasures, singers, musicians, 700 wives, and 300 concubines. That's quite a bit. In his drive to accumulate, though, he had not moderated his desires in any way. He didn't have any moderation. And whatever he had seen and desired, this was Solomon's problem, he got it. But he looked around, surrounded by all he had ever desired, without a hint of satisfaction. On the contrary, he felt all the more barren inside. The terrible conclusion fully weighed upon him that his unrestrained efforts to get and to have had all been wasted on what amounted to meaningless, meaningless trivialities. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. Those were the words that came out of that experience of meaningless trivialities. Life had become a crushing burden to Solomon. He hated it. Solomon had everything, but he had nothing. He was full, but he was also desperately empty. That's a sad state to be in today. To be full and to be desperately empty. It can be easy to get distracted by false fulfillment in this world. Things seem like they will make you full, but they only bring emptiness. Fullness that is false is offered by many different things today. One is entertainment. That's a major one. We're constantly being inundated with things that grab our attention, all in an attempt to sway us away from boredom. Because it's there where we sometimes come face to face in the most powerful of ways with God. It's in those quiet places where Solomon stopped and he felt the boredom of life. And he said, what have I done with this life? Because when he was there in that quiet place, he hadn't lived a way that connected him with God. He looked at it and saw meaninglessness. It was empty. He couldn't couldn't see the face of God in that moment. Because when he looked at his life and his life of excess, he had spent all of his time trying to get more trying to accrue more and so here he is in this quiet place for us for many of us a spiritual discipline of silence and solitude that quiet place is where we find god that quiet place is where we reflect on all the blessings god has provided in our life but for solomon he only saw a life that was wasted and the non-material can make us feel full as well. In our culture of individualism, it can become commonplace to fill ourselves with anger or bitterness and vengeance, because we're so self-serving and self-righteous. But in fact, some people choose this path because it's the only path to meaningless and, fulfill, and meaning fulfill, fulfillment that they can find. It's the only place that they find meaningfulness. For that person, their anger helps fuel them. For that person, the non-material thing of vengeance is the only thing they can hold on to that says my life is meaningful only if I pursue this vengeance. Only if I pursue this anger can my life mean something. Because people in this world have been done wrong in such a terrible way that vengeance can fill their hearts. The world is fallen. We experience pain and suffering but if that pain and suffering becomes the the thing that gives our lives meaning it's also what we're going to focus on and what we're going to what we're going to dwell on in those quiet places holding on to grudges and past hurts is the attempt of the wounded soul to find a find the hole and fill it but this kind of fulfillment will always leave one empty You'll always step back and look at your vengeance that's filled the hole that you've tried to fill, actually, and think, I'm empty. When you think of Solomon, what first comes to your mind? And perhaps you think of his wisdom, or perhaps you think of something else, but, or you think of, his, of all of the riches that he had. But let's discuss Solomon a little further. At some point during Solomon's reign, he had forsaken the wise path of finding meaning and fulfillment in a life devoted to God, and he sought it in excess, and in an immoderate pursuit to experience and accumulate more. Well, there is nothing new under the sun, he wrote. As Solomon said, and countless people today, including people in the church, give most of their time to the pursuit of more. So many of us listen to voices from the world telling us fulfillment is found in pleasure or passions and money or, fa- or fashion, accomplishments, entertainment or relationships, thinking more of these will bring contentment to my life. The wisest man who ever lived disagreed telling us that such a pursuit will always end with a sigh that all was vanity and grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. What an empty place to be. To be stuck in the cycle of more, more, more. I can't imagine that endless struggle. I haven't, well, I can't imagine being stuck in that endless struggle. We've all fight through the, the temptation of this world. Maybe we have even fought that, we have fought that attitude of more. But to be stuck in it for an entire lifetime. how empty, to look back and see that you've never attained anything, you've just pursued more. Our lesson today is on moderation. Solomon sought fulfillment in excess, but let me tell you today that without moderation, we will always be fixated on what we want and be unthankful for God providing what we need. That's the truth of it without the moderation that pulls back and stops the pursuit of more, we're always going to be fixated on what more can I get? What more can I attain? What's the next thing on my list of priorities that make me successful? Because if I can reach out and attain that, then I can have meaning in my life. If I can drive that new car or if I can, you know, have this or have that that I've been saving up for for so long, if if I have X, Y, and Z, then that's going to make my life meaningful. That's what I want, but God says, oh, wait a second, hold on. I might not give you what you want, but I'm going to give you what you need. And moderation takes us a step back and sees that all our wants, if we pursue them, will be vanity in this life. But if we give thanks to God because He's given us what we need, we'll look at our life and praise Him because He's given us fulfillment in this life. We'll say, thank you, Jesus, at every step of the way. You were faithful and you provided. And when I didn't have, you gave, God. When I had nothing, Lord, you were there. No, I didn't get what I wanted. But you gave me what I needed. When I didn't have food to feed my stomach, you gave me what I needed. You didn't give me the lobster course, but you gave me what I needed. And when you step back and see God's faithfulness over our ability to be faithful in this life, what, ful- what fulfillment. What a thanksgiving can arise that says, oh, how faithful. Is my God, and when we get fix, fixated on wants, we will ask God in prayer for an answer. Maybe, maybe we're having difficulty with our vehicle or financial difficulty, or uh, some terrible some something has happened where we feel like we're pushed up against the wall, and we'll and we'll pray and we'll ask God, we'll ask God for His provision. Maybe we're stuck in a place where we don't have hardly a dime in our bank account, but we'll ask him, Lord, I need an answer. I I need an answer to my prayer today. But when he does answer, when we're fixated on our wants, we'll think we did it when we get it. When he gives us the job or he gives us a new car, we'll think it was our charisma that got the vehicle. And some can get filled with bitterness at God because they think they had to do it themselves. And then because of being so full of bitterness, one will have everything they asked for, but also have nothing because they turn their face from God and will never be satisfied. We'll ask God for an answer to prayer, and when he provides, we'll think we had a hand in it. We'll forget the prayer we prayed without moderation. We'll be fixated on the wants in our life. And then we'll get bitter, as I said, because we'll feel that we had to do everything to get the answer to that prayer. When all along, God knew what we were experiencing. He knew the end from the beginning. He said, this is the time I'll answer. I don't want bitterness in my life to cause me to have nothing. I don't want a lack of moderation in my life to cause me... To have nothing you see the spirit of this world will demand your focus to be on all your wants but the holy ghost calls us today to be thankful for having what we need and if you're thankful for having what you need today can we just give the lord a hand clap of praise Thank you, Lord. Solomon's life stands as a constant warning to the futility of seeking fulfillment and meaning in materialism. It might not seem immediately obvious that his example is relevant or applicable to us. That is, what he experienced, we will experience. And should we follow that similar path? After all, how could we follow a similar path? Maybe that's your question. You know, he was a king, and therefore he was able to live life on the grand scale, having an unlimited capacity to seek and obtain whatever he wanted. It wasn't very far off. It was just a word that Solomon had to speak. Bring me this or bring me that, and they brought it. Nevertheless, those of us living on a small scale today without the same means can still be driven by the same misguided spirit that drove Solomon Have you ever found yourself thinking, if only I had that X, Y, and Z, then I would be happy? I'm pretty sure maybe all of us have been there. When I was a little boy, if only I had a dog, I would be happy. If only I had a bike, I would be happy. Well, that doesn't always change as we mature or we get older. The next thing is, if only I had, you name it, whatever you're thinking of right now, you'd be happy. But like Solomon, a misguided spirit will try to, with a misguided spirit we'll try to set our own hands at work to achieve our wants when the Lord seems to disagree in us having those desires. You know, you know, for example, maybe you are, maybe you have prayed the prayer. This is hypothetical. Maybe you have prayed the prayer, Lord, help me with my technology addiction. And the Lord says, okay, I'll help you with that technology addiction. One day you're whistling along and you have your phone in your hand, boom, it falls. Wow. Screen cracks, it's, it's a goner. You have to take that to wherever and turn it in and try to get five bucks back. I don't know. That's because that's probably all you're going to get. Maybe put it on Amazon. But broken screen, can you fix it? Um, But you drop your phone or lightning strikes your house and everything gets wiped out that's electrical. Man, technology is gone. I prayed the prayer, but maybe I forgot I prayed the prayer. And now I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't have any, I don't have Facebook. I don't have social media. Where's my Pinterest? I need to put something on a pin on a board. Come on, we're, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, you're stuck. And then, because you forgot you prayed the prayer, well, I know I should pray tomorrow morning, but i got to work overtime. So, you know what? iPhones cost about $1,000 these days. It's going to take some overtime. And so, we decide, well, we'll we'll give up. We'll give up some things to get that over time. And then all of a sudden, we have done exactly what I've stated. God's tried to give us an answer, but we've worked with our own hands to provide for ourselves. Whenever God says, hey, wait a second, you're so plugged in to technology, how about you plug into my spirit? Why don't you spend some time talking to me? Why don't you spend some time getting some words of wisdom from me? Why don't you take some time finding your favorite promise in Scripture and pin that to a board? So, we work with our own hands, just like Solomon sometimes, to achieve our desires. When we know God has answered a prayer, God has worked to try to keep us from it. But I don't want to be in that spot today. I want to repent today if I'm in that spot. I want to seek Him first today. Seek His kingdom first. And let all things be added unto me. Because with addiction, we're just filling a hole. Trying to find fulfillment. Trying to find meaning. Trying to find peace when God can give us that. God does give us that. One can search their whole lives for what they will think will make them happy when the Lord is trying to get their attention that they should be happy because they have no other provision no provision that's lacking and that's the truth today there's no provision that we're lacking and maybe God is trying to get our attention that if we'll have a moderate mind and a moderate attitude today that says yeah I gotta live in this world but not be part of it maybe I can be reawakened to God's provision in my life And reawakened to a new thankfulness in my heart. God has given us this example of a man talking about Solomon who always wanted more and found his pursuit unsatisfying. So we could be delivered from the trap of thinking if only I had that, then I would be happy. Solomon never labored under the if only I had that, then I would be happy delusion. He had that, and it never satisfied. He experienced firsthand that the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled filled with hearing. And whenever he felt unsatisfied with what he had, he always could get more. It always ended up the same. Vanity of vanities. It will always end up the same for us as well. And so in contrast to the folly of excess pursued by Solomon, Scripture counsels us to pursue moderation and to be self-controlled in all areas of our lives. So our best efforts may be given to knowing God. Our motivation to pursue moderation is the recognition that an unrestrained pursuit of more never satisfies. It only distracts us from what, in the end, truly satisfies. Our relationship with God. So much is at stake, even our eternal lives. Now is the time, therefore, for the hard task of honestly examining our lives to see if we're immoderately giving ourselves to anything but God. If we have set up idols in our lives and have given all to pursue them, God is calling us to tear them down and seek the only true God in whose presence is fullness of joy and at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's an important thing to consider today, to consider what idols we have set up. What are some of the areas of life that can most easily become idols? Maybe we know them right off the top of the head. our head. I call them, sometimes they can be time with God robbers. The things that keep us. That's where idols start. They're the time with God robbers. There are things that we put up a little bit higher than spending some time in prayer. There are things that we cause to be a little bit more important than spending some time in reading our Bibles. The, the things in the beginning that cause us to just, just deprive God of a little bit of extra time with us. That's where our idols expand. It can be a job. It can be possession. It can be entertainment. It can be a hobby. It can even, and we're going we're to talk about this in a second, but it can even be the blessing of God in your life. It can even be that I see that God's blessed me with um, this spe- this talent because we all have talent. So God's blessed you with a talent for photography. Say not call- not being specific to anyone here. Maybe God's blessed you. Okay, let's let's take another one. Maybe God's blessed you to be a race car driver. <laughs> well, maybe we have some of those too. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, the Lord, maybe the Lord's blessed you with something and it's His blessing in your life. And it's like, man, I'm so glad I got this. And you, you enjoy it. And all of a sudden, it becomes a little bit more important than spending time with God. So now it's my, my attention is focused on this thing or this blessing instead of the master. So even blessing can become an idol if it causes us to deprive God of the extra time in our life, the extra time that we spend in just praying and reading our Bibles and being disciples. So here we arrive at a pivotal point. I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what is entertaining to us? What has hold of our thoughts, ambitions, and emotions? Let me explain how easy it can be to set up an idol. Whatever We entertain the most in our life, that will be what we serve. Entertainment means to provide amusement or enjoyment or to receive as a guest and maybe provide some refreshments. Translating that to the heart, when the spirit shows up, we clear a spot and we give him our undivided attention. But you know what? When vengeance or anger or bitterness or, or our hobby comes knocking we'll also clear the table and give it our undivided attention. And what we entertain will become what we serve. Whatever you open your heart to and clear a spot, whenever those things walk into your heart or walk up to the door of your heart and start knocking, and you say, come on in, clear the table, sit down. Whenever we talk about deliverance from bitterness, or, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really honed in on these things today because I felt it in the spirit. Whenever we get honed in on attitudes that we serve, that we entertain, they can become an idol in our life. And all of a sudden, we haven't set up a material thing as an idol. We've set up an attitude or a spiritual thing that's become an idol. Because when it comes in, we don't resist it without moderation when it comes in we don't push it back and say no you've been here long enough or no you've come in too many times sit down stay out there but without moderation we'll have an open heart that says come on in I'm going to entertain some more negativity or come on in I'm going to entertain some more of the lies so what we entertain If we don't have moderation, through the Holy Ghost and through the Word of God, it can become something we serve today. And so we walk into church ready to worship the Lord, and all we can see is the idol we've set up. The idol that says, i got to have my vengeance on so-and-so, or I have to have my vengeance on this or that because of the unrighteousness or injustice that's come against me and that I've experienced. And we can't worship the Lord in that moment. We can't worship the Lord well with a, a, uh, as a true worshiper because we're so focused on the idol that we've set up. And so when we recognize that idol, we have to practice moderation to repent and say, there's a time and a place to point out injustice that's been done in my life. But this is not it. The Lord is my healer. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my restorer. And I will not allow this to come into my life or into my heart and fester and be entertained in in the house of my heart. Oh, no. No, I want the one who heals in my heart. Hallelujah. Can we just lift our hands right now? Lord Jesus, I feel your spirit. I feel your spirit moving. If there is anyone in this place that has experienced brokenness, oh God. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, that you would move in a way that brings peace today. As you are the one who heals, the one who restores, the one God that we desire to entertain in our heart today, God. Lord Jesus, we push back with moderation against the things that would seek to control our heart in excess. Lord, we set you as the King of Kings today. Lead us, God. Hallelujah. Moderation doesn't respond in a way that just lets anything in our hearts. No, moderation responds differently. So as I've said, if you've been wronged, hey, it's true that someone or some people, whoever you've been wronged by, they may hate you. Or they may have said hurtful things. But moderation brings this attitude of Father forgive them. They, know they didn't know what they were doing. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross and the moderation that he had to practice? The restraint he had to have when he, dis- when he looked through the lens of love rather than a lens of vengeance. It wasn't his will that any should perish And go to hell. It was His will that all would be saved and all would be received by Him because of His love. Moderation in our life says, no, it's either or. If you've done this to me, this is what you deserve. But moderation that's formed by the presence of the Lord and the Holy Ghost in our lives. That kind of attitude will say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Receive them, Lord. Receive us, not receive them as in they are perishing, but receive them into your grace. Help them find your grace for themselves because they don't know what they're doing. I don't want to react in a way that is motivated out of anger because that is what it's easy to do whenever we are sinned against, but react in a way that's out of love, that's sacrificial as our Lord and Savior did. So moderation brings the attitude of, Father, forgive them. It brings the attitude of grace in our lives. Solomon's life was tragedy and serves as a warning. It began so well. From the moment of his birth, everything was in his favor and pointed to great future success. His father was the king. Growing up, he had money. He had good looks. He had education. His future prospects were great. He was never worried about his future career. He would be king. After his aged father, David, named him king, Solomon began on the right path. He loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of David, his father. We look at 1 Kings 3.3. Very early in his reign, God came to him in a dream and made him an extraordinary offer. Ask what I shall give thee. What an offer. God put no restrictions on it, just what do you want? At first, maybe that seems a little bit contradictory. Because I've said God gives you what you need and not what you want. But we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Solomon, though, requested wisdom. And this is interesting. See, Solomon requested wisdom to be a good king for his people. That was Solomon's original intent. I want to be a good king for your people, God. And that request pleased God. He was so pleased, in fact, he replied, And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. It's a powerful promise. And God then gave Solomon the privilege of building the temple for his glory. Life could not have been better for him. Every indication was that he was going to be even greater than his father David and would walk in the blessing of the Lord all his life. And to this point, his life had been a, stir, a, a string of successes. The future looked bright. Everything looked great. But if we fast forward a few years to the latter part of Solomon's life, we see something else. Here he is writing a book that reflects on life in, in general and in his, in his in particular. And coming from this man... And with the way his reign had begun, we would expect to be ins- inspired and have a positive attitude coming forward. But the ancient equivalent of our personal success—it—it uh, it, doesn't—it's it, it, our personal success. If we look at Solomon, it's vanity without the Lord. And it—he—he he, uh, so Solomon in the book of the book of Ecclesiastes, it lists the many accomplishments. Well, the, whole, the Bible does list the many accomplishments of, of King Solomon, but at the end of his life, he's writing this thundering, this thundering, uh, this, it's, it's, a, it's a thundering response or a, to his life that he's lived. It's a, it's a thundering retelling whenever he says, vanity of vanities. That's, it's thundering when you hear that that this man who had all these successes ends up writing this. And from the outside, everything screams success, but from the inside, he's, he's screaming vanity, meaninglessness, futility. How common is it in our life, in, in our day, for people to seem to be happy and fulfilled on the outside while being miserable on the inside? I'm sure that we run into people like that all the time, more than we should, who seem like they have good things going on for them, but all there is is dissatisfaction. And probably the most striking thing about Solomon and his honesty about ending up hating life, though he had, had obtained everything under the sun, that the world says brings fulfillment, is that he did not change course. He did not repent. In Ecclesiastes, we never read him saying, and therefore having tried everything under the sun and finding it meaningless, I remembered how in the beginning I loved the Lord and walked in his commandments following the example of my noble father David. So I repented of my folly and turned my heart toward the Lord and sought him diligently. And when I took my eyes off the things under the sun and raised them to heaven again, I found in God the meaning of fulfillment my heart had yearned for. We don't see that. That's not what it says. It said vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So having begun so well, how did he end up there? How did he ever leave the path of the right relationship with God, which would have led to more success and true fulfillment, and choose the path of excess that led to his hating life? And this is really important that we see this. The main reason, it seems, was the influences he had brought into his life. And we just spent a little bit of time talking about that. But King Solomon loved many foreign women from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father. His excess and lack of moderation turned his heart away from God. So we see this, that God says, don't intermarry with the women of foreign nations, because they'll turn your heart away from God. But what does he do? He marries them. What does... Solomon's experience with his wives suggests regarding the role our closest relationships play in our walk with God. And we talked about it a little bit already. Whatever we let in our heart is going to be what we serve. But don't think you're an exception. I think Solomon might have thought he was an exception. Why? Because the Lord made him this peerless king. And here he was, Solomon, the the great wise king with everything you can imagine, with riches untold, and he thought he was an exception. But let's, let's talk about those holy wants. When we talked about God gives us what we need and not what we want, but we see God telling Solomon, ask whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Let's talk about holy wants. Psalms 37 and 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. When does he give you the desires of your heart? When you delight yourself in the Lord. And what did Solomon ask God? He said, I want to be a good king for your people. That sounds like he's delighting himself in the Lord. But, you know, God will give you desires of your heart and wants when he's God alone in your life. And you're walking in a right relationship with him. But this is what I think happened. Solomon's wants changed when being the peerless king became an idol over being a good king for God's people. The very blessing that God gave to Solomon when he said, I'm going to make you a king like none other. That became more important than being the good king for God's people. I'm peerless. There's no one like me. Wow. La-di-da, you know. Look at me. Look who I am. Look what God's given me. Look what he let me do. And that became an idol. And so do you think it's easy for a king that sees himself as peerless to be able to exalt himself above the command of the Lord? Sure. Yeah, if you think you're all that in a bag of chips, it'd be pretty easy sometimes to say, You know what, God, I know you said it, but I don't have to do that. So even God's blessing can become an idol in our life. We have to be mindful of that. That whenever the Lord blesses us, use moderation. Use moderation. Let God be king and act moderately. Because a good king for God's people would never have thought these thoughts. That he could usurp the authority of the Lord and marry uh, as he was instructed not to marry. So yeah, you can even turn God's blessing into an idol without moderation. And I don't want to be there today. Because that, when that happened, that's why Solomon's sitting there writing that thundering recount of everything meant nothing. Because God wasn't God in my life. And I got to come to a close here pretty soon. I'm going to go to your... Uh, to your next blank, that ungodly influences and in pursuing more wrecked his walk with God, Solomon's walk with God. And that's what will happen every time. The idols that we set up will bring in the ungodly influences. The moment that we let our race car driving become an idol in our life is the moment that we let other things that are involved in racing become an idol in our life. Before long... It, it, it won't be long before, guess what? You know, I don't think rolling those dice, are, that's not too bad of a, you know option right now. And I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to win. So we want to walk with the Lord so that he can teach us to be moderate. And when we feel compelled to pursue more, to let, him, to let us be reminded that he gives us what we need. We have to learn to unplug from the busyness of life and give ourselves to God for it is only in his presence that our minds can be renewed and see clearly the futility of immoderately giving ourselves to what can never satisfy. His presence alone can give us insight into areas of our lives where we may be living in excess. A simple test is the time and money test to consider where your time and your money is. In the context of prayer, ask God for insight and then examine where you're spending your time and money. If answered honestly, this test will infallibly reveal your true commitments. Moderation, though, will come as God works on us through the ongoing presence of His Spirit in our lives. Paul ends his list of the fruit of the Spirit with temperance or self-control, Galatians 5 and 23. Self-control is the necessary source of all moderation in our lives. The first step in pursuing moderation in all things is opening up our lives more and more to the work of the Spirit through practicing the spiritual disciplines. And through these disciplines, God can cultivate in us self-control and the discernment to recognize if we're living moderately or not. And you know, if I'm going to give myself more and more to anything, I want to give myself more and more to Jesus. I want to give myself more and more to his kingship. I want, to, I want his grace to be more abundant in my life more and more. I don't ever want to leave behind the first desire that said, Lord, I want to be someone, I want to be a servant who pleases you. I want to be a servant that whenever I meet you at, in heaven, I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If that ever stops to be the focus of our pursuit We've set up an idol I want to hear the well done Thou good and faithful servant So let me tell you A little bit about a person Who lacked moderation And maybe We won't immediately recognize it But you know Peter lacked moderation Just as Jesus Withheld himself from responding in anger as he as he hung on that cross, and he said the words of compassion, "Father, forgive them," we see a man who also is in the middle of a situation where he can respond either way, and it's Peter. Peter, whenever the, whenever they come and take Jesus and deliver him to the high priest Annas, Peter follows quietly behind. He's not very far behind him. He's just kind of maybe in the shadows. And they take him to the high priest's home, and there's a courtyard. In the ancient days, most homes had courtyards. And there was a fire that was made. And this fire was most likely there for the people who delivered Jesus to to the high priest, Annas. And so because Peter has followed from behind, you know, and it's dark, Some of these men, uh, scholarship, believes that some of these very men around this fire were probably men who delivered Jesus. So Peter comes up to the fire and starts warming his hands in the courtyard, and someone asks him if he knows Jesus. Man, can you imagine that? Jesus just got delivered, getting ready to be persecuted, getting ready to be judged by the high priest, and they ask, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. Whoa. Some shock. And this was a moment where Peter needed moderation. But what did he do? No, I don't know, Jesus. Someone else asked him, aren't you a follower? No, man, I'm not. No, no. Someone else asked him, well, this time, you know, when someone asks him, uh, you know, he, he begins cursing. Not very much moderation. So Peter was here. He had an opportunity to respond with grace respond in boldness but he doesn't and i want to remind you though that mark 8 and 38 says for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels if peter had stopped there with that denial this is what would have happened the father the son of man would have said, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of you. Not well done. No, I'm ashamed. But it's interesting because Jesus saw what was going to happen to Peter in Luke 22 and 31 through 32, 31 through 2. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I pray today that that is our prayer. That we see in this world that is individualistic and calling us to serve idols, that we will see the moderation that is required to resist it and to follow after Jesus. And to know that the Lord is praying that our faith fail us not as our high priest. And in that moment where we turn away from our immoderate behaviors and let the fruit of the spirit of self-control rule us or be in us, the fruit of it, the fruit the fruit of self-control, I pray that we be converted today from our immoderate ways and to let the Lord be king of all. Let Him be the Lord of our needs today. Let Him be the Lord who gives us our godly wants today, our holy wants Because there is no life lived as fulfilling as a life of faith in Jesus. Amen. I pray today as we stand that we consider all that we've heard today. Consider not only the material things that can rule us and be idols, but consider the immaterial attitudes that we can also set up. And to determine within ourselves to say, Jesus, whenever that happens, I need your strength to turn the things away from the door of my heart. Lord, I desire to hear the words of well done, not that you're ashamed of me. Amen. Let's pray today in closing. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for your presence. I give you thanks today for the call to see you as the God who gives and provides all that we need. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who speaks to us today in this lesson, who calls us away from the world and the spirit of it that is constantly looking for more, and that we would see you as our everything, the one who provides more in our lives than anything in this world possibly could. I pray, Jesus, that for those of us, Lord, that need to be converted from our mindset of immoderate living and expectation and excess, that in our conversion we will also strengthen others, knowing that you are the God who has grace upon us, who forgives us all our sins and gives us the strength to overcome and be victorious. We praise you today, Lord, for your spirit and for your word. Lead and guide us, God, as you transform our minds, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.